We're wrapping up the series called The Roots of Our Faith. And we've looked at three historical root systems. One is the so-called Apostles' Creed, and everything in that is great, apart from the part where it says he descended into hell. There's no biblical support for that, really, and it's very unclear. Second, last week we talked about the Nicene Creed. You remember that? This week, we're going to talk about the Westminster Confession. And that was written in 1647. You go, what on earth has this got to do with us today? Well, what happened in 1647, the English Parliament of all people called, I quote, I love this, the learned and godly and the judicious divines. That is a mouthful. (laughs) The judicious divines to meet at a place called Westminster Abbey. You got it. Westminster Abbey. And they were going to agree on some clear doctrinal statements that to provide advice on worship, doctrine, government, and discipline in the Church of England. So Westminster Church of England, think about that. Just some general background, because some of you have heard this, some of you haven't. Now, sometimes I think that when Ben and I meet for coffee, we have a long meeting, it's two hours. I'm going, good grief, this is long. Because <laughs> in business we're used to an hour. Guess how long their meeting lasts when they were putting this together? Five years. (laughs) Five years it took them to produce this confession of faith, as well as two things. It's called, then there are two things it provided. The larger catechism, which is a long list of questions and answers, actually 196 of them in that one. So you have question, answer, question, answer, question, answer, 196, that's a long one. And then there was a shorter one, which is only 107, and that was for the kids. 107 of them, questions and answers, and what would happen is they'd learn it, so the, the vicar would say the question, and they would they repeat the answer together. That's how they learn. Now, the main difference between the shorter and the longer is the, main, is the shorter one has fewer words. <laughs> I know that's really deep at this time in the morning. Now, the last 300 years, this catechism and this confession of faith has been adopted by many churches as a primary declaration of doctrine subordinate to the Bible. The Bible is always a numero uno. Now, let me just be clear again. If somebody was to ask you, or you were to describe to your friend, what is a catechism? Catechisms are theological questions and written answers. And remember, theology is what? What, What's the definition of that? Theology. What's that? The study of God. Theo is God. Logi. Anything with biology. Biology is a study. Bio. Psychology. Study of psychology. You know, it's study of. Ology is always study of. So theology is a study of God. And the catechism just means to teach or to instruct. And again, a pastor or priest would teach it to the people and the people would repeat it back. Just like you used to do your tables. Again, shorter for the children, longer for the adults. And it was very helpful, especially for people who couldn't read. That's how they got some of this stuff. Now today, I want you to walk out of here actually very challenged. And motivated to do something with your life based on what we're going to look at. 
Now, in your notes, I summarized at the top there a bunch of topics that's talked about in this catechism. And that's a summary of 12,000 words that you're looking at right there on your outline. Okay? So I thought I'd perhaps teach half an hour on each one of those words. <laughs> Relax. If you're interested in this, you can go online and you can look up the Westminster Confession if you're interested. But the writers wanted people to have answers for theological questions. Some of you have got answer, questions. Are you looking for the answers? This is one place you can find some of those. But they also wanted action, not just knowledge. Knowledge is for action. Remember, Christ came not to just inform us, but to transform us. And this is what I want you to write down there. Discovering answers without taking action leads to an empty faith. You may want to write that down somewhere. Discovering answers. Some of you are wondering why maybe you've slowed down in your growth as Christians. This sentence right here is amply supported throughout Scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Discovering answers without taking action leads to an empty faith. Actually, James says, leads to deception. Because you think you're doing okay. Salvation and works. So friends, what I've learned about spiritual growth is this. You have got to act on your answers that you get. If you don't act on what you hear, what you learn, your faith will be empty. It's dead. This is the brother of Jesus Mr. James. And this is what he has to say about this exact issue. He says, remember, it is a message to obey, not just to listen to. If you don't obey, you are only fooling yourselves. Nobody wants to do that. To listen and not obey is like looking at your face in the mirror, but doing nothing to improve your appearance. <laughs> Just like you may have a... A bushy, bushy hairdo that day. But you see it and you don't do anything with it. Some of us have done this. You see yourself and you walk away. And here it is. You forget what you look like. Because what happens is when I come to the word of God, I see my heart revealed. I go, whoa. And that, that stirs a response in me. But then I look away. And, ah, relax. That sense of conviction goes. So answers without action just leads to weak hollow and forgetful faith. So that's why, if you're regular here at New Hope, you know that every message that I try to bring has an action or a verb in it. Something that you can do. Now you've heard, go do. Now you've heard, go put it into play. Now one of the many things that I love about people that call New Hope their home is they don't just want answers. They know, how does this truth apply to my life tomorrow morning when I go to work or to school or in my home or in my home. So today I'm going to go after one question out of the hundreds we could have gone after. And it's this, what is the chief end of man? What is the purpose? Now let's read the answer together of the first question, what is the chief end of man? Let's read it together. Man's chief end is to and Right, now that's, we've got that one. There's only 106 more to go. <laughs> Glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is the purpose of life. To some of you today in this room, 
You may not be Christian yet. You may be a deist. And what you believe is that maybe God created this universe, yep. He kind of wound it up and then you became uninvolved. Then your only purpose in life is a proverbial he or she who dies with the most toys wins. Or if you're an atheist and you believe like Stephen Hawkins seems to say, you've come from a celestial slime deposited here by aliens. Whoa! And he's the smartest guy in the world. Physicist? Not. What your theme becomes is all that really matters is what I can fit on my plate. A lot of people go through life trying to fit things on their plate. Here's a big one. Money. Power. Position. Family. Friends. Weekend. Education. Travel. Holidays. Whatever it is. Now, all not necessarily bad things... But outside of God's priority, they're pretty empty. Now, maybe you are brought here by a friend today who cares about you. Because they know that you are maybe wondering or a little curious about God. I want to encourage you to always ask questions about God. New Hope is a safe place to answer those questions. And God is never afraid of your questions. You're not going to catch him off guard. And he's not going to say, whoa, gee, that was a good one. Never thought about that before. You need to keep on asking because it's very important. Because if what Jesus said is true, he said here, I am the way, not a way, I am the, and it's an exclusive term, I am the way. The only way to get your name in that Lamb's Book of Life, the way, is through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father but through me. Now, friends, if you're not a Christian yet, and you're still considering the claims of Christ, if that's true, That is a big deal and worthy of serious investigation. It's worth your pursuit. And I'm betting my life and so I'm billions of other people that what he said is true. And the Bible says that you and I were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To know him. To worship him. It says it like this in 1 Corinthians 10. Whether you do something as mundane as eat. And boy, I love to eat. Especially at Burger Burger. <laughs> or uh, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all for what? The glory of God. The point is, whatever you do, whether you work, whether you sell, whether you teach, whether you fix stuff, whether you weld, whatever the point is, whatever it is, as ordinary as it is, as eating and drinking, do it for the glory of God. And that's good counsel. Now, what does it mean? To do it for the glory of God. How can you actually glorify God? Because if God's glory fills the whole earth with beautiful monarch butterflies and gorgeous sunsets and, the, and, and unbelievable specificity and diversity in nature, how do we give glory to God? Now there's a great use, word used here in First Chronicles. And it's the word declare. And there it says there, declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all the peoples, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. It's not about adding glory to him. He's already glorious, with or without us. It's about making his glory known. It's about opening the window 
so that others can see the glory of God. Now today, what I want to do is take this answer to glorify God, and number two, enjoy him forever and make it very, very practical so you can do this. So that your life may glorify God and that you may learn to enjoy him forever. Five ways, briefly, and you can think about it, fingers on your hand. Five ways. Five ways that you can glorify God. The first one is a big one. And it's completely countercultural to our world today. And that's this, be content. When we're content, we display God's glory. Well, how is that? Well, contentment recognizes the sovereignty of God. When I'm content, I acknowledge that God is trustworthy. Irrespective of my sometimes debilitating circumstances. I acknowledge that God is good and he's in control. Even if different people are in politics and power. When I feel that, I reflect his glory. Now on the flip side, when I am discontented, what I'm really doing is I'm questioning God's wisdom. Or his sovereignty. And that doesn't reflect well on him. And it certainly doesn't glorify him. When me, the little squirty worm, tries to question the God of this universe. That's ridiculous. Now, unless you pray for contentment, and I pray for contentment, human beings I've noticed, have you noticed this with children? They can trend towards discontentment. We can too. You can in your job. By the way, just a quick reality check. We have first world problems in this country. <laughs> Difficult people, porcupines to work with at work. I know, they're there and they're real. But it's really a first world problem. You have a job for a start. It's easy to become discontent. In, and it's tough to be content. You know, with the world going the way it is, the economy, and gas prices, I nearly died when I saw the gas prices, they had to fill up. There are all kinds of things to whine about, right? Doesn't, it's not special skill. That's what we're going to learn, to be content. And when we learn to be content in him, because remember, this is the pre-life. This is only 78 years. This is the pre-life. Real life moves forward from the moment we walk through the door. That's what we're going to learn, to be content. And we, we are when we glorify God. So let's look at this passage from Philippians. Paul... This is called, Philippians is called a prison epistle. Why would that be? Because why? Because he's, yeah, absolutely. He's not living in the Ritz-Carlton here. Okay? He certainly wasn't writing from there. He writes one particular word, and I want you to look for it as we read through the scripture here. And the word's going to be learned. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstance, whether I'm in jail or whether I'm in chooser's household, I know what it is to be in need. Some of you could put your hand up here. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. Notice how he doubles down on this. In any and every situation, whether well-fed 
or whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who strengthens me. So Paul says, I'll give glory to God even though my life right now is upside down and I'm chained to two guys in a jail cell. He says, I'm going to give God the glory no matter what. I'm going to trust him that somehow we will work this out for good. You know, how ironic is that? Paul wrote most of the New Testament and the only time he had to do it when he was sitting down in jail. God created the time frame, and we all benefit from that. The whole Christian world benefits from that. God used that for our good. He can use all things for good for those who love him. And even Paul in prison was used when you'd think it to be a terrible situation. Not for Paul. Look at his attitude. He says, I've been good through times and bad times. And I'm going to trust him because he is sovereign. He will use this in ways I don't even understand. That's what it means to be content. Now, quick point here. Many people take the last part of that verse way out of context. And we put it on plaques, on walls, and screensavers. I can do all things. And they say, I can do anything. No, you can't. That is completely taken out of context. The context says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I've learned to be content. I've learned that he is in control, and I've learned that he is sovereign. So the first way we can bring glory to God is to what? What is it? Be content. Be content. Get it? Good. The second way we can bring glory to God, you are allowed to interact, you know. (laughs) The second way we can bring glory to God is to praise him. To praise him. Just like Carol is this morning in the team. Praise is another way that we glorify God. It's not just Christian karaoke. I sing along where my mind is disengaged. No, I am focused. You try telling your wife or your girlfriend that you love her with your mind somewhere else. It doesn't work, right? No. We need the mind and the heart engaged in that to mean anything. Otherwise, God says this. You come to me and you praise me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. This is, this is how we bring genuine glory to God. Sometimes I have to get my head and say, Soul, bless the Lord. Oi, down there, wake up, stop, focus. I've got to, I've got to tell it, bring a sacrifice of praise. Praise is another way it's of bringing glory to God. Psalm 66, it says it's more than just singing. Here it says, shout joyfully, praises to God, all the earth. Sing, you can circle sing, about the glory of his name. Tell the world how glorious it is. You might want to circle that. Sing and tell there. Praise is not limited to just singing, folks. You can praise him through telling. Giving him credit where credit is due. And last time I checked, he gets the credit for just about everything. God is good. Because of fill in the blank. I used to say that to my wife. I'd say, honey, I love you. And one day she got cheeky. She said, why? You're not supposed to say that. (laughs) I said, no, tell me specifically why you love me. Let me think about that. (laughs) You'll be very careful in those conversations. But I think God says that to you. He says, oh, are you just saying the words? Or do you really mean it? And if so, why? Why do you love me? Tell him specifically. Fill in the blank. Psalm 148. 
Let all praise the name of the Lord, for his name is very great. His glory towers above all the heavens, excuse me, the earth and the heavens. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, praise has got to be one of your habits that you develop daily. It's an attitude of praise. But in the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, have you ever been there feeling really, really heavy? Blah. Circumstances, stroppy work colleagues, whatever it may be. And you're feeling just, whoa, or just life sometimes. The Bible encourages us, put on the garment of praise for the, sp- um, um, put on the garment of praise, exchange it for, this, uh, for that spirit of heaviness. You start praising God and you get your eyes off the situation, you get your eyes on him, things start, to, your outlook starts to brighten up. Anybody else found that? Yeah? Great. This is a verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 that I've memorized because it slapped me in the face, if you'll excuse the expression, one day. It's very clear. Three things. Always be joyful. What? How is that even possible? Because in all circumstances, I can look up to God and I can think of something there that I can be joyful about. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Oh, there's a second command I can do. Third, in all things, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That verse stopped me from having self-pity. Stop. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. In all things, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. That is a great verse to help realign your head. That's God's will for your life. Can I encourage some of you young people and some of you being on the road a while? If that verse speaks to you, take a photograph of it, take it off there. Actually, I'm not sure, put it on there. And actually memorize it. Dead simple. Three things. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. In all things, give thanks. For this is God's will for you. What's God's will for my life? That's it right there. That's part of it right there. And it will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yes, throw off that slime, that negativity, that anxiety, that fear, that worry. And remember, replace it with the truth of God's will for your life. Change the program. If I have an iPhone app that keeps messing up, I upgrade it. I take out the old and put in the new. Truth of God, no, never needs to change because it's always the same. It's perfect. Third thing you can do to glorify God is confess your sins. Some of us have forgotten that. We've slipped into this pseudo-perfection mode that we think we are. Why does confessing sin glorify God? Because when we confess and acknowledge our sin, it acknowledges this one thing. God, you are right and I'm wrong. And it accesses God's grace and ashes in his forgiveness. So if you are a growing follower of Jesus Christ, you probably have got 1 John 1, 9 memorized. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now there's another key verse. If you're a brand new Christian or a Christian being on the road, that verse should be welded into your mind. And here's the key word, if. Because if I don't confess my sin, it means I don't take responsibility for my sin. And what I found today is very common is for people not to take responsibility for sin. 
even to think and rationalize, ah, it's no big deal anyway. Let's be honest, it's easier to blame other people than it is to take responsibility. And many times I've, in this church I've shared, the classic example of that is Adam. We could go to Abraham, but Adam is a classic. In the very first chapters of Genesis, he's there and God says, you can eat of every tree in the entire world. But just to make sure you're not confused that you've got total dominion, sovereignty, there's one I'm going to put my mark on, and I don't want you to touch that one. Of all this you can have, but just not one. Then he eats from the tree, and God confronts him. And what does he say? It was the woman you gave me that caused me to, to sin. That's what he says. Gentlemen, have you said that? No takers? Very brave. Very wise, should I say. And then he's got the audacity. The next part is he's sliding further. And then he says, remember, he says, it was woman you gave me, you gave me. And by the way, it was you who gave her to me. If I'd had her, I never would have done it. That's what he's effectively saying. A big wuss. So he's really saying there, God, it's all your fault. If you hadn't made her, if you hadn't given her to me, I'd never end up in this pickle. That's what he's trying to do, blame shift. One of the things that happens when you mature, and on that journey of maturity, you learn to take, yep, I screwed up. That was me. Mia culpa. I'm wrong. That's when you know when your kids start to grow up. They're not trying to blame shift onto everybody else but them. <laughs> now, let me teach you some good theology. Very simply here. When we blame God, we assign guilt to him. And God is never at fault when we sin. Never. So when we imply God is somehow guilty, it maligns his holiness and it exposes our complete ignorance. Now, on the other hand, confession glorifies God because it acknowledges that God is holy and he is righteous and I need to be forgiven if I'm going to connect with him. And that glorifies God. So first way we can glorify God is to be content. The second way we can glorify God is to praise him. And the third way we can glorify God is to confess our sin. And what does the Bible say if we confess our sin? He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that cool? Where's that found? 1 John 1 9. Burn that into your brains. That's the truth. Because sometimes what the enemy will come around and they'll say, you've sinned again can't be forgiven anymore. The moment that happens, you whip out that verse and you fight with the sword of the Spirit and say, actually, that's not true. That's a lie. The Bible says, if I confess, and I am confessing that I have sinned, and the Bible promises that he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us as if we've never sinned from all unrighteousness. Thank God. Number four, how else can I glorify God? It's to make him known. I can glorify God to make him known when I do this. And one of the ways we glorify God is to make him known. When we do that, we bring in glory. When we shine light on the good news. And if you don't know what the good news is, the Bible says that we can have a relationship with God when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us. He died in the place of us as a penalty of sin is death. When he died on the cross, he paid for my sins because I could never pay for my own sins. He paid for it. That 
friends, is good news. And I, if I accept that by faith, I can now have a relationship with God because when God looks at me, he sees Christ's righteousness, which covers me. And the blotch of my sins are wiped away. Now, when you read the Bible, it talks about good news and what it's talking about, and that's what it's talking about. You make him known, the good news known, and in a spectacular way to glorify God. Acts 14 says this. We've come to bring you the good news that you should turn. You may want to circle that word turn. Turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. Now people, that turn that it says there, the actual word for that in the Greek is repent. And it means to turn around. People turned around from the world's ways, turned away from their living standards of, by living by their standards, by living by their values and their morals, which, by the way, are just a matter of personal opinion. This is why you can always hold on to the truth, because our truth is anchored in objective reality, which is God. God's character never changes. If you ask a friend of yours, is, let's pick any subject, um, transgender, is that right? Is it moral? Right? Wrong? And then they say, yeah, it is. We say, well, why? And of course, if you keep drilling, why, 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 why? Have you ever had a kid that asks you why, 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 why? And if you finally get to the bottom, Rah! the point is there's no objective ground. Well, we think it is. But that's very fluid. It's just a subjective opinion. But if there is a God, you can anchor it to something that never changes, and that's his character. His character, there's no shadow of changing with God. The world at one stage thought it was okay to kill millions and 120 million communists. I mean, by that stage, Hitler was a small player at 12 million. That was okay. A lot of people thought it was okay. A whole group, well, why is their opinion different to ours? See, opinions are all changing and very fluid. God's never does. It stays the same. That's why you hang on to the truth. But people who turn from the world's ways, they turn and live God's ways. They are born again. They are born spiritually. And that glorifies big God because a changed life glorifies God. My brother Pat, for nearly 20 years, walked this direction. Heroin, alcohol, and a plethora of other things. But then he turned and he walked back this way towards Jesus. After nearly losing his life three or four times, his life was changed. That glorifies God. And God gets glory for a changed life. God gets glory when Satan's prison doors are busted open. And someone escapes that was held by the power of sin because you or I made him known. And let me tell you, Mother Buckley prayed. Mike and I prayed, as did many others, for that young lad. Then God gets the glory, not you, not me. Fifth, so that was making known. Fifth and finally, bear fruit, which comes back to what I was talking about at the beginning. The book of life and the book of works. Bearing fruit glorifies God and it makes him known. Fruits are the things that flow out of my life and your life. And Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of God's spirit in your life and how it's revealed. And what are those? How many are there, by the way? 
Nine, what are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, when you do good works, you are bearing good fruit. And Jesus said it clearly in John 15 there, 15.8. By this, my Father was glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. There were some people who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, and walked clean away from Jesus. How about Judas? And many others. When Jesus' hard sayings come, it says, and many of his disciples, disciples walked away. Too hard. Fruit is another way of saying our actions. When we live out what we're talking about. For example, quick warrant of fitness. You don't have to say anything to anybody. But on that last point, making him known, if you're honest to God, did, imagine if we did an invisible poll right now and we said something like this, make him known. That's one way you can glorify God. Last week, did you have any salvific conversation? Did you talk to anybody about Jesus and, his, and, and the cross last week? Did you even get to that? Good way to check. I used to tell my piano teacher I'd done practice. You know what the first thing she'd say? <laughs> Show me. Ah! I wish you didn't ask that. Very awkward right now. And I'd start to play and it was very obvious I hadn't practiced. I say that because I do, I want to, the Bible says examine your faith. Test your faith to see that you're in the faith. We need to take action. We need to bear fruit. Philippians say, look at the word, by the way, produce in this. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, those good things that are produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Good actions produce glory. Let me be very clear one more time in case somebody's missed this. You are not saved by your good works. Nothing. But... You are saved by your faith in Jesus Christ, atoning death on the cross and his resurrection. That shows that God accepted him and that sacrifice. That's what saves you. But once you've got the answer to who's the Lord of your life, the book of life, then you produce the actions that the fruit. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5 from the Sermon on the Mount. In the Beatitudes, you recall this one. In the same way, let your Good deeds shine. Not hide them under a bushel. Let them shine. They should be evident. Why? So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Now when you and I produce fruit, it opens a window so other people can see the glory of God. Now those last five points, which fit on one hand conveniently, focus on what it means to glorify with God. Glorify God with my life. The last little while, I just want to focus on what does it mean to enjoy him forever. Now, maybe you can think of a person or a group that you enjoy being around. Then think of how do you feel when you're around that person or around that group? You know what it's like to enjoy somebody? Now, here's the deal. When you glorify God through being content, through praising him, through confessing sin, through making him known, bearing fruit, the result was you will enjoy him. 
We glorify God when we enjoy that relationship with Him. It's very similar to enjoying life with people that you love, but millions of times more powerful. Now, the writers of the Westminster Confession made this the number one question for a reason. They said, give us the big idea of life. What is all life all about? Many people in England were asking that question. People today are asking that question. What is the chief end of man? What is the purpose of my life? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, I want you to think about something this week. I want to give you a bit of a challenge. Now, every time you wash your hands, anybody not wash their hands? I saw that, Elizabeth. I want you to just take a little bit more time. And for those of you green, you can turn the tap off. All right? That's fine. When you do this, I want you to think, well, have I got all the dirt under my fingernails and are they all nice and clean? I want you to think about what we're thinking this, uh, talking about today. Am I being content tomorrow morning when you get up to have a shave? What do I need to be more content in my life? Am I praising him? Have I stopped at all today to praise him? Or have I quickly reached my phone and automatically, before I even got to his word, other things have come into my life and distracted me? When you're washing your hands, are there some sins that I need to confess that will usher in his grace and forgiveness into my life? And then maybe as you're washing your hands, am I going to make him, am I going to look for opportunities that the Father has prepared for me to make him known as I'm going about my business tomorrow? And lastly, as you're washing your hands, it's a good question to ask, am I bearing fruit because when I do this, I'm glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. Now, how many of you think that's doable? Can I see here? Anyway? Okay. Good. I want to challenge you when you wash your hands. So, you know, remember, when, I hope it'll connect with you. Wash your hands. I'm supposed to remember something. What is that? Take your outline home and look at that so you can do that. Now, interestingly, the Bible teaches at some point in the future, here's a big headline. Everybody will acknowledge Jesus, glorify God, whether they want to or not. There will be a time when everyone is going to drop to their knees and glorify God for who he actually is because they will see him. So it's either going to catch you off guard and you go, whoa, you are glorious. I had no idea. And it's going to catch you off your guard or you're going to be looking forward and anticipating it. You're going to be ready for it because you've been practicing it here on earth. Philippians 2 says, because of this, God raised him from the heights of heaven and gave him a name that is above every other name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue, every language it's saying, every people group, every nation, will confess, what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't let that catch you off guard. If you still today in this room have questions, that's cool. But I want to encourage you, there are answers to your questions. But there will be a day 
when everyone recognizes God for who he is and you will see him for who he is. Glorious. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? God, thanks for another day. It's great to be alive. What a treat it is. God, when we think about the meaning and the purpose of our lives, we want to glorify you and enjoy you forever. And yet some of us in here, we don't do a very good job of being content. There's a constant push and a grasping for more. We need your help, Holy Spirit. We need to learn how to be content. Would you teach us? And God, some of us here are really good at praising you, and others of us struggle with that. Now, we know that you're worthy of praise and that the crown belongs to you and not to us. God, many of us still have sins that we're keeping to ourselves. And it's keeping from us a right relationship with you that we need to confess. Father, we acknowledge today that it is an absolute privilege to make you known to other people. And for many of us, we forget that. We've been swallowed up by the busyness of life and the priorities of work and family and other commitments. Would you, Holy Spirit, give us courage and strength to remember to do that and to make that a priority in our lives. Ultimately, God, we want to bear fruit. Father, would you produce good fruit through us so that people would see you and praise you? And finally, God, for those people that are here today who don't know you, who are seeking They're wondering, they're investigating and questioning. God, I pray that they may sense your love for them today, that you're drawing them closer to you and that you want a relationship with them, that they can enjoy. Father, I pray that would happen soon. And Right now as we pray, just in the silence of this time, I want to encourage you to make some type of commitment because that you are here. Don't leave the same person. Maybe you say, God, I'm going to commit to whatever it is. Thinking about this as I wash my hands. Or God, I'm going to commit to making you known at work with my friends. Maybe it's a neighbor you've been working with. Well, maybe for you it's, God, I'm going to commit to knowing you for the first time. Well, I'm going to recommit my life to you. But would you make some commitment right now as your offering to God? God, thank you that you hear our prayers. Thank you for your love. We pray this in the powerful an everlasting name of our King, Jesus Christ. And everybody said...